You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our reading this morning is taken from Romans 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, and to bring about the obedience of faith, for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well, emerging into a new year, countless people are going to be seeking a fresh start, especially after a year like 2020. There is within us naturally this longing to be afforded the opportunity and the resources to experience newness in our lives. And I think that this is why we look forward to New Year's every year. But it's, not, it's never really about resolutions, is it? It's never really about weight loss or financial goals or uh, you know, traveling more or experiencing some dynamic of a, a new relationship. I think that what we're doing is we're expressing this deep down soul level awareness that we need to be made new. There is within us this awareness that there is something in us and among us that is broken and that we need healing. G.K. Chesterton, hundreds of years ago, or about 100 years ago, said that the object of a new year is not that we should have a new year, it is that we should have a new soul. Isn't that what it's really about? New year, new me. But as our failed New Year's resolutions continue to illustrate year after year, we lack the ability to effectively change ourselves. We lack the wherewithal to truly transform our lives. And don't feel bad. This is not just the case for us as individuals. This is the case for us as the human race, as a people. About 50 years ago, Carol, uh, Carol King once sang a song about desiring to believe in humanity. And in it, she does this very strange thing. She asks the, her listeners to keep her uninformed about what is going on in the world. And she says, don't, you know, don't tell me the things that you've heard, because if I really looked around and, and, and saw what's going on, I would lose my faith in humanity and never be able to recover it. And she concludes the song with this line, maybe, I've, maybe I'm, I'm living with my head in the sand, but I want to believe in my fellow man. Maybe I am living with my head in the sand, but I want to believe in my fellow man. And with all respect, 50 years later, you really have to be living with your head in the sand to be blindly believing in humanity. Just look around. Just look around. In the wake of ongoing political and racial division, which just simply manifested this last week in our nation's capital. In the midst of economic instability, and if I need to remind you, we're right in the middle of a global pandemic. At this very moment, I think what we can see 
clearly is that humanity is extremely volatile. Humanity is just too weak and too fragile and too flimsy to hold the weight of our hopes, to hold the weight of our belief. And all the motivational speeches in the world will never be able to convince me at this point that if we just dig a little deeper, we've got what it takes to turn this thing around. I think it's become pretty clear that the same old worn out human approaches to life are broken and they're failing us and they're not just failing us, they're hurting us. And in this very pivotal moment, I mean extremely pivotal moment in history, people are desperately looking for alternative ways of healing humanity. And so as we embark on a new year, we are desperately in need of a vision of something new, not just an updated version of the same old thing that isn't working, but a vision of something entirely new. This is what the timeless vision of the book of Romans brings to us today. It's a vision of a new humanity. Now, a little bit of a historic backdrop here. Rome in the first century was a place of chaos and human cruelty. There were political clashes happening frequently. There were violent transfers of power. There were natural disasters, ongoing cultural upheaval. And as if life in Rome wasn't as already difficult, there was the added layer of pressure and persecution upon the first century church. The Christian church there made up of Jews and Gentiles were a very unpopular group. History tells us that after a great devastating fire ravaged Rome, the emperor Nero, who is actually believed to be at fault, looked around and looked for a scapegoat, some group that he could blame, and ended up blaming the Christian church, calling them enemies of humanity. Twice in the first century, there were mass expulsions of all the Jewish people from Rome, splitting the church apart. And then there were demands to honor pagan deities, including the worship of Caesar that would cost someone severely if they did not adhere. And so in the midst of this political upheaval and in the midst of this ongoing racial division, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote to the believing community there in order to inform them of the good news that God, through his son, Jesus Christ, had formed a new humanity. One that's not based on race or gender or religious performance or cultural practices or social status, but is based simply on faith in the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. A humanity that was marked by love in the face of hate. A, a, a humanity that honors and cares for people in places where there is blatant disregard for human dignity. A community that welcomes others to belong in societies marked by exclusivism and by superiority. And a humanity that holds within it the hope of eternal life and the renewal of all things. This good news, this gospel is the central theme of the entire letter that we're going to be journeying through 
this year. It's the gospel that the Apostle Paul committed his entire life to. It's the gospel that's at the core of Christian belief. And what we'll read on and find in Romans 1, it's the very power of God to save and transform our lives. It is key to all that follows. And so because of this, it's important that we grasp what this gospel is. We say that word often, but do we know what it means? And so we're going to dig into this gospel today and see how it impacts our lives. And we're going to look at the gospel under four headings. The gospel is from God. The gospel is about Jesus. The gospel is according to the Spirit. And the gospel is for all people. Let's look first at the gospel is from God. Look with me again in verses 1 and 2. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures of God. This is not a motivational tool developed by behavioralists. This is not a coping mechanism designed by psychologists. This is not even a religious document that was formed by early religious leaders. This is of God. This is a revelation from God himself, and the gospel is the life-altering news of who God is and all that he has done. And Christianity, unlike any other faith in the world, does not offer to us a series of good instructions about how to live a better life and feel better about ourselves. If that's what you're after, This series, I'm warning you right now, if that's what you're after, this series in Romans is going to thoroughly frustrate you. I've experienced that frustration. I've experienced the frustration of of trying to use the Bible as a tool to repair certain parts of my life. Trying like like the Jordan Petersons of this world are constantly telling us, trying to take the Bible and apply it as, as, as these good principles in order to live a better life. But what I found in my life was that though I had the right words and the right instructions, I lacked the ability to effectively change myself. And it wasn't until I gave up on fixing myself that I actually experienced change in my life. Paul, later on in the Romans, will explain this by talking about this dynamic between the law and the gospel. And he says that using God's law, using the instructions of God's word as a means to try to fix yourself will only end up crushing you because it tells you about what you should be and it tells you about what's wrong with you and then it leaves you there. It tells you how God is righteous. It tells you how you are sinful, but the law has zero power to actually transform you and to change you into what you should be. True Christianity, however, is ultimately based on the good news that God, the creator and sustainer of all things, loves you and has called you to be a part of his family who has fulfilled all of his demands for you himself and is now sacrificed in order to bring you into his eternal kingdom. Paul tells us that this is what the whole Bible has been about. This is what all of the law and the prophets and everything leading up to this point had been about, this promise of newness through the Messiah. Now, Romans, what we'll find is Romans has instructions for us. There are things that are required of us to live a life of faith and faithfulness. There are instructions here that are gonna call us to lives of sacrifice and self-denial and service of others. 
But at the end of the day, this letter is not about what you must do for God. It is all about what he has done for you and now what he continues to do in and through you by his spirit. It's about him. Secondly, it's about Jesus. Look at me in verse 3. Speaking about the gospel, the gospel of God concerning his son. So it is of God concerning his son. Now I'm going to keep beating this drum. The heart of the Christian message is not a set of instructions or pillars or virtues that you must achieve. It's not centered on a set of ideas or religious practices or a system or a community or a sacred place. It is centered on a person concerning his son Jesus. And as John Calvin said, the whole gospel is contained in Jesus. And to even move a step from Christ means to withdraw oneself from the gospel. If you are looking for any good news anywhere other than in Jesus, you've lost it. What's it all about? Paul answers, it's all about Jesus. But we make this terrible mistake of coming to the Bible making it all about us. You do it, we do it, I do it. We come to the Bible making it about us. And you're really gonna miss the point of Romans if you come to it with this immediate demand to make sense of your own life. And this immediate demand to figure out who you are and your place in this world and what's going on in the world around you. This is like when we take a group picture with, a fam, with, a, with our family or friends. What are, where, are, where are our eyes automatically drawn when we finally see the picture? It's to ourselves. And we immediately begin to analyze, well, how do I look? Why, why do I smile like that? Gosh, I look old. How many chins do I have? Oh my gosh, I like that angle. I don't like that angle. Why was I wearing that? Why do I look like this? We're automatically drawn to ourselves. And we fall into this constant state of analyzing ourselves. What ends up happening is we, we miss the whole picture. When our eyes are automatically drawn to ourselves, we miss what's going on in the whole picture, and we have a very skewed vision of life. This can't happen in our approach to Romans. We can't let this happen. Yes, we're being welcomed into the family picture. Yes, we are loved and cherished by God. In fact, we are the apple of his eye. When God looks at the family picture, his eyes are drawn to us. But for us, the frame is centered on Jesus. And where your eyes must first go and fixate is on him because you will, never you will never be able to accurately see yourself or see your life or see the world around you without first a clear vision of Jesus. One whom Paul tells us in verses three and four was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our Lord. Jesus, who is, who is fully human, he's descended from David. Jesus, who is also fully divine, declared to be the Son of God in power, one who was born in our likeness, crucified in our place, raised in power, and is now ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father. 
our Savior, the Savior of the world and the Lord over all creation. He is our life. He is our source. He is our hope. He is our freedom. He is our friend. He is our king. It is all about Jesus. The third thing we see here is that the gospel is according to the Spirit. It's of God. It's about Jesus. And it's according to the Spirit. Verse four, speaking of Jesus, he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. The good news of salvation, the good news of life depends completely upon the powerful working and the powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit It is the Spirit who awakens us to this good news. It is the Spirit who regenerates us to respond and to receive this for ourselves. In a 30-year-old film called Awakenings with Robert De Niro, it's based on a, a true story, and it tells of this medical breakthrough that occurred in the late 60s. And this medicine that was introduced called L-DOPA, L-D-O-P-A, and it was administered to patients that had become catatonic, unable to speak, move, communicate, essentially function. And this medicine was administered and it caused many patients to awaken, allowing them to sometimes after decades of being in this catatonic state to be able to walk and talk and breathe on their own and function. And the story was based on these real life patients, a patient like a real life patient named Leonard who was given a completely new shot at life. And in Leonard's case study, it's actually recorded, it records him saying these words, I feel saved. I feel resurrected. I feel, quote, reborn. And the story goes that he was, you know, essentially raised anew. He was able to do all the things that he had longed to do. He was able to read books. He was able to write a book. He was able to date. He was able to go to these places that he wanted to go visit. And then sadly, like many of the other patients like him, the effects began to wear off. And Leonard regressed back into his catatonic state and nothing could revive him. And it was a short-lived salvation. It was a short-lived rebirth or resurrection. And what this illustrates for us is that all of our attempts at revitalizing our lives are gonna be temporary at best. The the deceptive thing about our own human change efforts is that we can experience temporary success. We, We can experience things like I feel better, I feel free, I feel changed, I feel new. Until the effects wear off. Until the willpower runs out. Until the motivation dries up until the buzz wears off, until those people leave, until the catatonic effects of sin finally catch up with us. See, the gospel found in Romans tells us that through faith, the ongoing, never-ending resurrection power of Jesus Christ has overcome the effects of sin. 
and is now animating our lives through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we have been awakened now, once, and forever. And now the Spirit of God brings what Paul calls the obedience of faith, which is just another way of describing a changed life marked by faith and faithfulness where we honor God and we serve our neighbors. Later on in Romans, Paul will tell us in Romans 8, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead, catatonic because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the hope of the gospel that is offered to us, Christ in us, his spirit in us, and this is how we are transformed. This is how we are made new. The Holy Spirit brings the life of the resurrected Christ into our lives. Resurrection power is unleashed forever. It's from God. It's about Jesus. It's according to the Spirit. And finally, it's for all people. This is for all people. Howard Thurman once said that there are two questions we have to ask ourselves. The first is, where am I going? And the second is, who will go with me? If you ever get these questions in the wrong order, you're in trouble. Paul likewise understands that if a community The Christian community loses its vision, it's in trouble. Where are we going? What is the goal behind all of this? What is our mission and vision? Here it is. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of all people. What are we about? The glory of God through discipleship, through discipling all people. It's all, as Paul says in verses five and six, for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The goal is inclusion of all people. Why? For the sake of Jesus's fame, for the sake of Jesus's glory among all the nations. In the Old Testament, God speaking about his anointed servant, the Messiah, It says in Isaiah, he says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. God, the Father speaking to the Son says, that is too small for you just to save one particular people group. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Any vision that is less than God's global, multicultural, ethnically diverse mission of bringing men and women into his family is simply too small. It's restrictive, and in the long run, it misrepresents the character and the nature of God. And so one of the pastoral aims that Paul has here, one one thing that he's addressing in this letter is to show that in a racially divided society like the first century, and for us, in a racially divided society like the 21st century, that unity and equality isn't simply a social issue. It's a gospel issue. That Jesus makes us one. He brings us into this new family of faith, this new humanity. 
in a way that doesn't erase our racial or cultural identity, but gives us a new primary identity as God's loved and chosen people, where now diversity is not an obstacle to our unity, but now diversity is an opportunity for our own growth and an opportunity to display the character of God to the world. According to a study this last year by USA News, or US News and World Report, Stockton was named the most diverse city in America. I want you to think about this. Our little city, named the most diverse city in America. And here in Stockton, those typically considered minorities make up three quarters of our city. 42% being Hispanic, 24 being Asian, 13 being black. And within this, these broad, maybe too broad of categories are numerous racial heritages, countries represented, people groups, tribes, languages, indigenous people, immigrants being represented in our city. We at this very moment, right in this very place, have a unique opportunity. And like the very diverse first century Rome where we're told all roads once led, the world is represented in our city like nowhere else right now like nowhere else right this moment. And so for the sake of God's fame and for the reputation of the gospel, our scope of care and love has to be to all people, regardless of race, regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of sexuality, regardless of social status, regardless of political leaning, all people. And being a diverse and welcoming church, it's not about being trendy. We're not trying to be trendy. We're not trying to be hip. We're not trying to be woke. We're not trying to be on the right side of history. It's about Jesus's name among the nations. And everything that we do has to remain motivated and fueled by this vision, Jesus's name exalted among all people. So let me conclude with this. I've recently read and heard so many voices within Christianity, especially this last week, urging believers that we need to respond to what's going on in this world. We need to, to be engaged, get involved, be a part of the change. That's great, but how? You ever notice that? Everyone is, is quick to say, we need to be doing something. Who's saying what? How? One, one conviction that I've shared with you multiple times, and I'm going to continue to, to cast this vision, is this. We do not change culture by simply trying to change culture. We will change culture when we demonstrate a new and more beautiful way that makes the old and the broken obsolete. We're not to be those who are marked by simply what we are against. We are here to proclaim the life that we are for and to welcome people to be a part in a way where everyone says, I want to abandon the old and I want to get in on the new. And this is what Romans is all about. This is my overall vision for our series this year, a people that are made new in order to live new, that demonstrate a new and beautiful way that has been opened up through Jesus Christ. And I'm calling you to belong as well. I'm calling you to be a part of this as well. 
by acknowledging that your, sin, that your life is broken by sin and that there's nothing that you or any other person can do to fix it, but that Jesus Christ came to make you whole through his life, death, and resurrection and to unleash new life into your life by his spirit. And so the call is very simple. Come, believe, and belong, and experience his life-changing presence among his people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.